This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Bob Hughes is the guest speaker on this message. Uh, Bob Hughes is going to be preaching this morning, and uh, many of you know him. Uh, some of you may not, but you'll know him here real quickly. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment to introduce him. One of the themes of this coming year for us as a church is going to be the idea of multiply. We're going to teach through the book of Acts, and we're going to see that frequently in the book of Acts, the emphasis is that God is doing some work of multiplying in, in, in and through the church, through the word, through the scripture. He's bringing multiplication. We see, we see that throughout, uh, throughout the book of Acts. Uh, and one of the things we're going to concentrate on as a church in the next year is multiplying ministry, multiplying service, multiplying outreach, but also multiplying leaders. And so we're wanting to see more and more folks use their gifts in leadership. And Bob is a leader in the church whose gifts have really been used significantly in the last in particular, last two years, last year, um, and that is through our man-to-man ministry. He leads our men's ministry, and so many times being in the man-to-man ministry when I'm uh, experiencing Bob's leadership or when I'm sitting under his teaching, I've thought, wow, it's a shame that just the guys are getting this. Wouldn't it be, lady, wouldn't it be good if the women and children could experience uh, Bob as well, because he is an experience? And uh, so we uh, have wanted people to experience his gifts as well. Well, and to see that fruitfulness experienced on a Sunday morning. So we thought, well, this would be a great Sunday to do so. So, Bob, thank you for being willing to speak. Thank you for spending your Christmas break uh, studying so I didn't have to and uh, got a Christmas vacation. But really appreciate you for so many things. And one of the things I was thinking about, which comes through your life and teaching, Bob, is I appreciate you as a man of integrity. And by that, I mean you certainly have godly character. You're certainly a man of integrity in terms of your word and your your character, but I, I mean that in this way, that your life is integrated. There's integrity in the structure of your soul and of your life. Um, and by that, I mean, if you were to engage Bob and talk to him uh, about his wife or children, you would find him very passionate about his family. Um, he serves his wife, Sharon, who's a dear, dear uh, woman of God who is, for all intents and purposes, uh, largely disabled, and he just cares for her in such a loving and, and a tender way, he loves his family. Some of them are here today from out of town, and but he loves his family, his kids and grandkids, and if you encountered him on that, talking about that, you think, wow, this is, guy's like really passionate about family. Then if you turn the conversation and talk to him one day about the church, you'd find out, whoa, he's really passionate about the church and God's purposes through the church and serving in the church and joyful about the church. Then if you were to have a conversation on a different day with him about his job, his business, you'd find, wow, this guy's one of the most passionate, clear, godly thinking guys about work in the marketplace that I've ever met. Uh, And he has a significant burden for uh, marketplace work and work at home for wives who are uh, mothers who are stay-at-home moms and such. He has that that calling of work. And so I think it all stems from this, is that you're passionate about Christ. And what I appreciate is your relationship with Christ influences and directs and leads your relationship with your family, your relationship with the church, your relationship with the marketplace, and various other relationships with friends and neighbors and everything else. So thanks for being someone whose Christian life, the grace of God, seeps into every area of your life. And that's what I so respect about you and just comes 
comes through is that you are passionate about Christ and it touches all your life. So thanks for your example and uh, love to have you bring the word. Can we Thank welcome you. Bob as he comes this morning? Thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. I love you. Thank you, man. I always wish that uh, I had a tape recording of uh, whenever anybody says anything nice to me, I'd like to be able to take the tape recording home to Sharon and tell her how she needs to be thinking about me. (laughs) Try and help her get it right. Uh, I've got a really special uh, blessing this morning. I've got my son Scott and his family here. I've also got Sharon's mother, Iva, and her sister, Diane, uh, that are special guests with us. And, and it's a privilege for me to be able to teach to all of you, but it's a, it's a unique privilege for, for me to be able to, to uh, teach my family. So, sorry, hold on a minute. Unexpected. Thanks. Craig, thank you, bro. Thanks for the privilege of being here. We're, we're part of a wonderful church, and it's, it's a privilege to be a part of a church where uh, there really is an intentional desire to help equip people and understand where folks are called and how to come alongside them to to really be who God has called them to be in whatever arena it may be, whether it's in the church or, or in the marketplace. And so I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be here. We are, uh, uh, this is the last Sunday of uh, 2012. So what I want to talk about is how to prepare well to engage God's best in 2013. And uh, I've had the the privilege from, as a new believer, I guess I've been a Christian almost 40 years now, but uh, as a new believer, uh, my folks used to live down in Sarasota, Florida, and I would come away from college during winter break and go down and be with them for Christmas, which was always a joy. But after about the third day, I was a brand new Christian and uh, I was driving everybody crazy by about the third day and because uh, nobody else was Christian. And so I don't know if I was sliding tracks around in my, into my dad's books or whatever he was doing. But it seemed like about three, four days, wonderful time with the family. And then if I really loved them, I needed to get the heck out of there for a few days and then come back at around, Christmas, uh, around New Year's. And uh, so I found a retreat center down in, in Sarasota in Bradenton, right next, next to where we were. And so beginning early on in my, in my faith, I would go down there, love on mom and dad until I was starting to drive them crazy, and then, and then go away for a few days. And it's become now a, I don't know, 35 years, every, every year. Between, this year is a little bit different because I got... Had get to do got to do this this morning, so my retreat will be next week. But this next week, but um, a time to come away to to do stuff that I don't do every day to fast. I don't, you know, it's not my idea of a great day when you're fasting. I like a buffet. I like, you know, it's not not where I begin. But but to have a context where you can communicate, Lord, I'm I'm more interested in you than the buffet. I want your will, I want your direction for this year more than I want cheesecake or more than I want dinner tonight. And to, to be able to take time to pray longer than I normally pray. To, you know, get on my, find a cheap hotel someplace where I can get away and get on my knees or lay on my face 
And my point in going through this is not to say, hey, here's this is what you need to do. If you're really godly, you lay on your face or you, you do. No, no, no. Every, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat, okay? But the point is there's something absolutely precious about being able to come away, to meet with the Lord, to, to you know, go through all of my vocations. I would try and take time to go through all of the areas that God's given me responsibility and to you know, begin with my, my walk with Him. How, how are we doing? How was the last year? Where are the areas where I'm screwing up? Where do I need help? Where do I need counsel? Where do I need to study more thoroughly or to apply God's word. Uh, how's my relationship with Sharon going? Am I serving her well? Where, where is it healthy and where is it weak? Am I planning well for us to be able to have undistracted time together? Lord, what's your heart on this? I need, your, I need you. You know, It's basically going through all those vocations. My, my work life, I run a small business and you know, I, I care for people. I employ people. I'm trying to develop people. Lord, I need you. I can't change anybody. I can't you know, I, I can spot problems. I've got that skill. Okay, but solving problems or caring for people or getting wisdom to break through, it's, I, I don't know what to do. I need the Lord. And so, anyway, every year, now for 35 years, so it's been a, a great joy to do that. So I just say that as just, uh, just to say that to talk about this topic of how do we prepare for the next year, something that's very near and dear to me, means a lot. And uh, Psalm 90 uh, really serves to speak to this issue. So if you would grab your Bibles and pull them out, whether it's a phone or you've got a hard copy or whatever it may be, let's turn to Psalm 90 together, and I'm going to just take a second and pray, and we'll jump in, okay? Let's turn our hearts to the Lord, okay? Father, I just thank you for uh, the privilege of, of engaging your word. Lord, uh, we need you. I need you. I'm supposed to uh, communicate your heart, bring your word. Uh, uh, that's a big challenge because uh, it's just me. Lord, and the people in this room have an even greater challenge. They're supposed to hear your voice and hear the Holy Spirit speaking to them and respond and apply. So. We need you this morning, Lord. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the eyes of our understanding would be opened, that we would know the hope of your calling, that we'd know our inheritance in the saints, and that we'd know the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. What a joy, Lord. We're not left to ourselves. We have the power of your spirit to teach us and to change us. Thank you so much for that, Lord. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we're brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we're dismayed. 
You set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone. We fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Wow, it's a, this, this uh, chapter could really be unpacked as a whole series. We could just begin with Moses, the man, whole thing there. There's just, it's going to be impossible to really cover things thoroughly. So I'm going to do a flyby and try and hit some key points. But before we do that, I want to, I want to kick off with an illustration just to stir our thinking. I want you to imagine that you have been given a bank account as a gift. And every day, $86,400 are deposited in it for your use. Okay, would that be a good day? Can I see the hands? Happy day? Oh, happy day? Okay. We'd like that, okay. Well, there's one stipulation. You can't carry over the balance to the next day. Every evening, whatever part of the balance you failed to use will be deleted. And the big question is, what would you do with the money? Uh, would it change your lifestyle? Duh. Okay. Uh, would, we would you become a greater consumer? Would, once the word got out about the moolah that you were getting, would the expectations and pressures of others around you determine what you do with the money? Uh, would you protect and invest that resource towards something really important that maybe you didn't see at the time? What each of us would do with that money tells uh, everything about us, doesn't it? It tells what we love. It tells what we treasure. It tells what's of ultimate importance to us. And this may surprise you, because um, we've got this illustration, but there's actually a real account that's been entrusted to you that's exactly like that, and it's called time. Every day, each of us are credited with 86,400 seconds. Every night, we write off as lost whatever time was not invested to a good purpose. Our time carries over no balance to the next day, it allows no overdrafts. Each day, God opens up a new time account for us, and each night, the day's remains are burned. There's no going back to seize yesterday. There's no drawing against tomorrow. So then the big question is, what do we do with the time that's been entrusted to us? Uh, do we use it as we please? Do we assume that it's ours for our 
choices? Does it primarily serve us? Do the expectations and pressures of outside forces and people influence how we use our time primarily? Or do we make wise decisions towards things that really have lasting value? And like money, how we use our time tells everything about us, doesn't it? Shows what we love, shows what we treasure, shows what we aspire to become, what we're ready to invest in for the future, and what's of ultimate value to us. My dad used to say that life's like a $100 bill. You can spend it any way you want, but when it's gone, it's gone. And that, that's, that's really true. That's, there's great wisdom in that. Our time equals our lives, doesn't it? Therefore, it requires great wisdom and care to steward the fleeting gift that we've been given with our time. So as we try and unpack Psalm 90 together, we want to look at, I want to give you four key key statements in how to live wisely in 2013. So for those of you who are taking notes, uh, here's our big four, okay? We need to, number one, freshly encounter God's glory and purpose. Number one, freshly encounter God's glory and purpose. Number two, rightly assess ourselves. Rightly assess ourselves. Number three, we need to soberly engage the reality of life. And number four, we need to sincerely consecrate our lives to what really matters. All right? Point number one, how do we live wisely in 2013? We've got to freshly encounter God's glory and purpose. Verse one kicks off, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our dwelling place. Everything of any value starts with God if we want to live wisely. Everything starts with God. It's like you get your shirt on in the morning, and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I can have a problem finding out where the first button of the shirt is, and if you get the first button screwed up, you are going to look like a dork all day long, right? But thank the Lord I have a wife who says, sweetheart, you got the wrong button button. You get the right button buttoned, and everything else amazingly works out, doesn't it? Okay? So we need right thinking about God. We need right theology. The word theology means the study of God. And, and we may not think this way, but every single man, woman, and young person in this room is a theologian. Every one of us are theologians. We've all got a theology about God. We all have beliefs about God. They may be right, they may be really funky, um, but they're what we believe. And the challenge with that is what we believe is how, it's, it's like, like our glasses. It forms our worldview and it causes us to see everything in the light of the lens of that perspective and then it affects what we do in everything that we do so if we look through a lens that says uh, you know success is about a lot of money that'll change things or if it's about being cool and popular that's going to change we can pick a million different illustrations but our lens is critical and an accurate lens begins with how we think about God 
A.W. Tozer says that what comes to mind when we think about God is the single most important thing about us. Our understanding of God's reality informs our thinking and our actions in everything else, doesn't it? Okay, so to so right theology is critical, but we don't stop with just right thinking. We, you can believe the right stuff and still be uh, a long way from what's most important. We need right relationship with God, not just a right belief system where you can take a quiz and throw out some theological stuff and we know the terms and we can answer the question. No, the whole point of knowing about God is to know Him, right? We need right relationship. And Psalm 90 has a profound starting point. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. It refers to the Lord as our dwelling place. Our dwelling place. It's it's where we live. Our home, uh, it assumes relationship. It assumes life together. Uh, another translation of the word could be God is our refuge. means he's our bunker, okay, if you're doing the, uh, the Doomer deal. The Lord's our, our bunker, or he's our place of defense and safety. But the, the big question on that one is, are those really the terms that we would use to describe the condition of our relationship with the Lord today. Is that how we would really see him? Is he our dwelling place? It's amazing that, that Psalm 90 is written by Moses. It's, it's the, the only psalm that, that Moses writes. He writes other songs. There's the, the song, Horse and the Rider. We all know that one coming across the Red Sea. It's another one, I think, after the... Um, Anyway, it has to do with, after Miriam, um, problems with Miriam, okay? Um, so there you go. It just shows how deep I am on my, my theological study on that stuff. But, but this is his only psalm. And you would think, Moses knows a lot of stuff. Moses has been through a ton. You, you could track his story. I mean, if we were doing a series, the first message would just be about the story of Moses, being chosen by God, uh, born Israelite, hidden, protected, the sovereignty of God, protected by, you know, raised in Egypt by Pharaoh's daughter. Just the story goes on and on, the parallels, the principles of the Christian life, the, what it means to follow the Lord, leading the people out, his failures, his weakness, his attempt to do stuff in his own strength. could go on and on and on, the, the whole story of Moses. But when you think of Okay, Moses, you've got one psalm. What do you want to say and what, how do you want to kick it off? You could think, well, he could say all kinds of stuff. He could say, well, Lord, you rescued us out of Egypt. You're our deliverer. That could be the kickoff of this thing. Or, Lord, you split the Red Sea. You're, you're our miracle worker. You're God of wonders. Or, Lord, you, you're, uh, you gave us your, your commandments, your word. You're our lawgiver. But how does he begin? Of all the things that he could communicate, he says, Lord... You have been our dwelling place. It's, it's beautiful. The thing that he most associates with God is his communion and fellowship with him. Everything starts with knowing God. Moses, who's our writer here, experienced God personally and profoundly. And we need to, too. Uh, Moses encounters God in the burning bush. And 
for most of us, if we had a burning bush experience, I mean, most, you talk to most Christians, you say, hey, tell me about your walk with the Lord. They're going to tell you some story about 20 years ago, about how they got saved and some cool thing that happened, whatever, and thank God for great stories. And thank God any of us got saved. We should all be frying and writhing, right? It's amazing we got saved. It's amazing we have testimonies. But you would think Moses would just say, yeah, I saw the burning bush and just stop there. He's done. They go, you, you're, you're done, brother. You got your testimony. You don't have to worry about another thing for the rest of your life. But that's not what Moses does. He continues to pursue the Lord. He says, Lord, I want to see your glory. He, he has a hunger and a longing to know God. He's radical. He's hungry. For God. And you would think the Lord could just say, come on, man, you're bugging me. I'm trying to manage the world and give me a break. No, the Lord says, come on. You want to know me? Come on. Come on. Now, you can't see everything or you're going to be fried. But I'll put my hand over your face. And, and then as I pass by, I'll remove my hand. and You'll be able to see just a little bit of my glory. But Moses comes down from the mountain and... Uh, He's transformed. He's been in the presence of God, and uh, he's shining. He's, I mean, that's, that's like principle number one. If I were going to do a business leadership seminar, principle number one, go get in the presence of God. Come down and shine so everybody's terrified of you, and tell them what you think God's saying, and they say, great idea, Moses. We'll, we'll go with that. But, uh, but Moses pursues the Lord. Show me your glory. And, and in his pursuing the Lord, the Lord reveals himself. He reveals a knowledge about himself, his ways, his purpose. And as Moses meets with the Lord, the scripture says that Moses became a friend to God. He, he, he walked face to face with God like one friend walks with another. Isn't that beautiful? And that's Old Covenant. How, how much opportunity should we have being Washed in the blood of the Son of God, forgiven, purchased in Christ, where we can boldly come before the throne of grace to receive mercy, find grace in our time of need. God says, come on, come on. This is step number one. Come to me. It all begins with our relationship with the Lord. Hmm. Sadly, the people of Israel, it says that for most of them, they just knew God's acts, but that Moses understood God's ways. That's so tragic, isn't it? And I, sadly, that's the way it is with, with so many of us in different seasons of life where we're looking from a distance. We think we've got an idea or we're writing on some insight or revelation that we got a few years ago in, on automatic pilot, but uh, we need to know the Lord and freshly know his ways, don't we? And the good news is that the God who revealed himself to Moses is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's here. He's our God. Uh, The second part of verse 1 says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. The Lord's not just a dwelling place for his people here and there periodically. He's a dwelling place for his people in all generations. He's our dwelling place in this generation. Right now, we can go to him. We can turn to him. And like, like Moses, you and I can know the Lord personally. We can know him as our dwelling place. 
Jeremiah 29 says, if you'll seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. What a, what a promise. If we'll seek the Lord, we'll find him. What a, what a promise at the end of the year as we look into this next year and anticipate, Lord, what do you want from me this next year? What are you going to do? How do I prepare? Well, if I seek him, I can find him if I seek him with all my heart. Jesus says, this is amazing, he says, this is eternal life. You want a definition of eternal life? John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It doesn't say that they may know about you. No, eternal life is about knowing the Lord. How awesome that we can know him. We can go deeper in that. So everything starts with encountering God. And then next we need to understand God's purpose. God's purpose is unchanging and unstoppable. Isn't that great news? The Lord is the ultimate cosmic bulldozer. He is going to do what he wants. His purpose is unchanging. It's unthwartable. Nothing can get in his way. And as we align ourselves with God's eternal purpose, our lives have got profound meaning, profound purpose. It brings clarity to everything. What a gift. It's a, what a gift God's given us to, to, be, to tell us what his purpose is. We think, well, what, what's his purpose? It's so simple. It's to glorify his son, Jesus Christ, through his covenant people, the church. That's his purpose, to glorify his son, Jesus Christ, through his chosen people, his church, the body of Christ. It's that Christ's reign would come to earth as it is in heaven. It's, you know, one of our challenges as believers is we just get so familiar with verses that they just kind of uh, it become room noise. We don't even think about them anymore. anymore. And the Lord's Prayer is like that, isn't it? Our, first of all, this is what Jesus taught us to pray. This is how Jesus wants us to engage God. This is what we need from Jesus' perspective. First of all, our Father in heaven. We need to know that God's our Father. He's not distant. He doesn't, he's not alien. He loves us. He wants to fellowship with us. We can know Him, our Father in heaven. Second part, may your name be hallowed. That's God's purpose, that His name, the truth about who He is, that it would be displayed, and it would be displayed in everything, everywhere, all the time. That His name would be hallowed. And then that His kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. Most Christians are so concerned about getting out of here and going to heaven that they've totally lost God's purpose, which is the exact opposite, that his kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven. Right? You guys with me? And that affects everything. That means Jesus is Lord of everything. He's the Lord of my money. He's the Lord of my marriage. He's the Lord of my job. He's the Lord of my time. He's the Lord of everything because it's all about his glory. And everything is going to pass away. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. But God's eternal purpose in glorifying his son Jesus Christ through his church is the story. That's the game. That is what life is about. And to the degree we line up with that thing, we're going to live an awesome, adventurous, thrilling, joyful life. To the degree we get duped and we think it's about some other secondary issue. It's sad. 
Because it's not God's desire. He, he has so much more for us, and he invites us to come and engage that. And this is the time of year to freshly do it, to kind of tee the ball up, to get away with the Lord, or to, to take an afternoon away, or to pass off the kids to your husband, and just go lock yourself in the bedroom, and, and just get on our knees, and to turn our hearts to the Lord and prepare for this next year. Okay, where am I? I'm jamming, but I'm, uh, I better come back to my outline. It's critical that we deeply understand God's purpose. We need to know it. It's so clear. It's, he made it simple for us. He knows that we're, you know, we're not high watt. We need it real simple. The gospel through the church. Say it with me. The gospel through the church. That's what it is. And then that ripples out in all the other places. We're equipped in the church to bring the Lordship of Jesus in our lives, to our marriages, to our work, to our community, to everything. That's the way it goes. The church, the gospel's the power, the church is the training hub, and boom, we, we, we get busy with the arenas that God's entrusted to us. Okay, so point number one, to live wisely in 2013, we need to freshly encounter God's glory and purpose. Number two, to live wisely this next year, we have to assess ourselves rightly. We need to know who we really are in relationship to God and in the context of ultimate reality. So here's what verse 3 says. It says, we are fallen and weak. Verse 3, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Literally, that phrase, children of man, it literally means children of Adam. And so it's Mo- Moses is making a clear reference to the rebellion of Eden, leading to our fallen state, and the ultimate problem that, that goofs everything up, sin, okay? He also right-sizes us as to where we came from, who we really are, and the answer is we're dust. So, okay, we want to have really, really let's have a self-esteem rally, sing a song, we're dust, okay? But it's healthy to right-size ourselves before God so we know where the real focus is supposed to be. We don't get duped into thinking that it's about us. It's not. Our life is brief. Verse 4 says, A thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it passes. We're we're so foolish. We think that we're bulletproof. We believe that we're going to live forever. We need constant reminders of God's eternalness compared to our temporalness. We need to look up and look away from the the deceptions of the world and the deceptions of our own hearts to behold the glory and faithfulness and truth of God so that we can see life clearly again. It says a thousand years to God is like yesterday to us. What, What do we even remember about yesterday? It's gone. I don't know. I don't remember anything about yesterday. I'm on, we're on to the next thing. We, we can view, if we're not careful as human beings, we can view our significance in a way where we think, man, the last thousand years, look at how much we've done as human beings. It's so significant. And it's, it is amazing, okay? You, you look at transportation. Over a thousand years, we've gone from a horse, what, 20 miles an hour, to the space shuttle, 17,000 miles an hour. That's good. That's strong, okay? Uh, Knowledge and technology, we've gone from most of the world being completely illiterate, few educated people, to basically the world's libraries on our iPhone. So that's, that's that's pretty strong. 
Uh, we've got the rise and fall of empires. We can look at our own wonderful country, two years of history, the hope of the world, what's happened in America in just the last 200 years. It's great, but we need to get that thing right size too because from God's perspective, our knowledge, our technology, our significance, it's nothing. It's, it's just so yesterday. It's over. The scripture says, Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket, and they're accounted as dust in the scales. That's God's perspective of that. Verse 4 says, Our life's like a watch in the night. Refers to the sentry watch in ancient times where they'd go three hours at a time to be sure things were safe. But it's a picture of life that's it's brief. It's just three hours. It's in the night. It's dark. It's, you're half asleep. It, it, it's nothing. It's a watch in the night. Verse 5 says our life is swept away like a flood. It's like a dream. It's like grass that withers and fades. It's like a house on the beach in New Jersey after Hurricane Sandy. That's what life is like. It's like my son Scott lives in, in Phoenix. We lived in Phoenix for many years. When you get a really nice rain, in the mornings, you can what would normally be this dusty brown desert, it turns into this gorgeous green, lush valley in Phoenix until about 10.30 in the morning. And at 10.30, the sun is up and that, the grass is gone. It's gone. You'll be waiting for a few more months until you get one of those moments. But uh, that's what our life is like. So point number two, to live wisely this next year, we have to assess ourselves rightly, don't we? Three, to live wisely, we have to engage our life soberly. Now when I say sober, I don't mean you're a dud. I don't mean you're no fun. Look, I'm, I'm Captain Party. I, I love to goof around. Sober probably would not be my middle name. People wouldn't say, yeah, sober, that's what I was thinking of. But it means that you have a sense of reality that affects you, where you're not caught by the, the tricks of pleasures and entertainment and all of that nonsense. Uh, verses 7 through 9, you can look through this more deeply on your own, but it's verse after verse that talks about the fear of the Lord. It's not one of those topics that we talk about a whole lot. Um, Verse 11 is maybe the culmination of those verses where it says, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? That's a really good question. Um, Who considers ultimate reality who considers the fear of the lord uh, we don't consider it very much do we probably don't understand it uh, very well but the scripture says a ton about the fear of the lord that topic the fear of the lord and according to the bible it's really important it's like one of the most valuable things that we can have and here here's a few quick ones for you Quick verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, I need that, okay? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. For sure need that. You got anybody needing some of that? Okay? It turns us from evil. Like every day I need that. Like all the time. Uh, the reward for the fear of the Lord, listen to this, is riches, honor, and life. I like that. I want that. 
The fear of the Lord is clean. I need that. Those who find it find the knowledge of God. It prolongs life. I really want that now. I mean, I'm seeing the end of the line. I want, I want as much life as I can get from here. I'm, I got, I, I'm shaking off all the stupidity of the early years, and I want to do something. I want more life. I want more time. The fear of the Lord gives strong confidence. It's a fountain of life. A little of the fear of the Lord is better than great treasure. What's your definition of success? Is it stuff? Is it money? Is it lifestyle? The Word of God says that if you want great treasure, you want something greater than great treasure, then that's gained by having the fear of the Lord. Cool. The friendship of the Lord is for those who have it. That's that Moses thing. That's the face-to-face thing. The eyes of the Lord are on those who have it. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who have it. And we're commanded to teach it to our children. So it's really important. It's really amazing. It's really valuable. The fear of the Lord isn't something that primarily affects unbelievers, does it? We think that unbelievers are going to get the fear of the Lord. and Yeah, they do. As the Lord is at work in them, they do get that. We thank God for that. But the fear of the Lord is primarily a gift to us as believers. It's a sense of God's glory and the reality of God's eternal purpose that sobers us and motivates us. It keeps us awake. It, it, it rescues us. It, it's a natural extension of a healthy relationship with the Holy God. It's a good thing. The fear of the Lord is a very relational thing. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. It's not a fear of what God will do to me, but it's it's fear that my failures may affect the God I love and may affect his reputation, hinder his purpose. That's, that's the ang- I think that's a healthy angle on what the fear of the Lord means. The fear of the Lord affects our compassion for others. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 10 through 11, it says that we all are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us. And the reality of that fact affects us in such a way that... that um, I'm sorry, I'm just going to read it here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each, month, each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, what's the response of the reality of the day of the Lord for us? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. It changes our perspective. And we get the reality that there's no such thing as a human being who's not an eternal soul. It affects the way that we engage people with sincere compassion. Our our hearts are affected by the fear of the Lord. And the love of Christ compels us in ways that it doesn't without the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is a really good thing. And that's our point number three, just to review. To live wisely in 2013, we need to engage life soberly. Point four, to live wisely, we must consecrate ourselves sincerely. Verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It, it, it begins with prayer, doesn't it? It says, teach us. 
that's what we need to do. We, we need to realize our need. We need to realize how much we need the Lord to break in on our perspective, and we need to pray. We need to call out to the Lord, please teach us, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days so that we can present a heart of wisdom, to live wisely. Why do we need to pray for God to teach us to number our days and to gain a heart of wisdom? Because we've got a goofy nature where there's part of us that that really doesn't want to walk in the truth of these things. It's amazing in light of what God's done for us that it would be that way. But there's a battle raging in our souls. There's an old nature that still isn't completely gone. It's our old nature in Adam. And it's, it's all about living for me and now and the fleeting pleasures of this life. But then there's a new creation in Christ that is real and powerful. And thank God, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. We can fight that junk off and we can put on the Lord Jesus Christ where we live for God, where we live for eternity, and where we really get ultimate joy. We really get the real, the genuine article. Uh, There's an old movie, uh, there's a movie for some of the old guys may remember, it's called Dead Poet Society. Robin Williams is in it. He's a headmaster of a college prep school. And the highlight phrase in the movie is carpe diem, right? Seize the day, baby, which is uh, Latin for... Well, actually, it's interesting. You'd almost think that carpe diem is a Christian theme, but it, it's not. It actually means no yesterday, no tomorrow, live for today. So it's a real deception. And it really, it's the value system of our culture. The, the modern millennial expression, my granddaughter Sammy over here taught me, she was with us this summer, and she taught me what YOLO means, okay, which is you only live once. I, I am so totally uncool, I, I don't know these things. But the thing that was interesting is we were talking about pressure she was having from her friends at a Christian high school. And she was trying to do the right thing in a situation, and all of her buddies were just going, Sammy, YOLO, YOLO, forget that stuff. Hey, live for today, honey. Come on, why are you bothered about all that? It's so not a big deal. YOLO. Hey, it is a big deal. Uh, there's a recent story, uh, this, is, this fall, a guy named Irvin McInnes, 21-year-old rapper, He's tweeting as he's driving drunk down the road, going 120 miles an hour. Moments later, the car crashes, explodes, flames. He and and four others are killed. Here's the tweet that he sent out moments before his death. Driving, tweeting, sipping the cup. He's drunk. Expletive begins with an F. YOLO! I'm turning it up. He's got the tunes cranking, nursing some beverages, blowing off life. He's got it, man. He's living for the moment. He's dead, man. He's dead. He's got four other guys who are in his sphere of influence. They're dead. All the people that are listening to his music, they're influenced with all this kind of stuff. Life matters. Really matters. King James of verse 12 says this, Lord, teach us to number our days 
a right. It isn't just about numbering our days. Okay, I've just had my 59th birthday. The periodic tables say I'm out of here. Maybe I get 78. I don't know what the odds are these days. How many days do I have? How do I measure? And that's not a bad idea, except it just means more than that. It means to teach us to number our days aright. The word aright is the important word. To see life rightly. To engage our lives, estimating our time in light of eternity. To see our brief moments on earth in the context of God's overarching glory and purpose. We need the Lord to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Our hearts reveal who we really are what we love, what we desire. And so we need to pray for God to give us desires like his, don't we? We need help. The media, of course, recently has been all up in works over the Mayan calendar, right? We were all supposed to be dead, what, the Friday before Christmas? So we're all supposed to be out of here? And our temptation is like, that's so stupid, man. It's not going to come to the end. Those guys are such knuckleheads. Christians do the exact same thing, man. We, we've got you know, uh, our end times calendars and we've got our charts about when the rapture's coming and predictions and our eschatology. We've got all the same nonsense. And the big question that, that, that gets everybody's attention is, is this the last generation? Is this going to be it? Is it all going to come to an end here? Well, I'm going to tell you the answer to that. And I know that there aren't very many people that know this. And so this is a precious moment. This is very special. But I'm going to give the answer. I'm going to clear this thing up once and for all. Is this the last generation? For you, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. For me, it is. This is the only generation that we've got. So it doesn't matter whether the Mayan thing shakes out or Jesus comes back. We've got limited number of days and we need to number our days that we can present a heart of wisdom to the Lord, don't we? Okay? We need to pray that God will teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. So that's our last point, which is we need to consecrate ourselves sincerely. So we began with the illustration about money and time. Let's unpack this thing just a little bit more so we remember that illustration. Uh, let's say somebody comes and calls you up and says, I want to get together. I'm having all kinds of money challenges. My budget's all screwed up. I need some help. Would you meet with me? Would you get a cup of coffee with me? So we're gonna, you're going to sit down with that person. And I want to ask you, what would be the first things that you would tell that person? Would you think about it? I would, I would imagine that we're probably all classic Dave Ramsey 101 people, right? And here's what the basic financial principles are. Your money is screwed up. Here's what you need to do. This is a challenge. You need to give God the first and best of your finances. I can't do that, man. My money's upside down. I can't. No, you don't understand. There's a supernatural principle to this thing. You need God in the. You've done this. How'd you do? Not really good. Uh, you need God, right? Yeah. Well, God's got a way. Give him your first and your best. Wow. Yeah, man. You want, it's better to have 90% with God's blessing than to have 100% with your stupid leadership over it. Right? <laughs> 90% God's blessing. Now, I mean, everybody's got different stuff on that. I'm not trying to lay down a legalistic thing. Tithe. Hey, blow the tithe out of the water. Let's be way generous. But, so that's principle number one. Give. Give to God first, right? 
Principle number two, live on a budget. Get your envelopes out. Get the magic marker. Write all of the different categories. I've got the mortgage, I've got the groceries, and I've got date night. And we've got write up all the And you put the money in there, and the money's spoken for, and then if you don't have the money, you don't do it, right? That's the whole deal. But guess what happens? You know, we're at the mall, and there's, there's the ATM machine there, you know, and they've got the, the Chick-fil-A's there with the deal with the mint chocolate chip shakes, and... It's like, Lord, I think you're speaking to me on this thing. Just, I, I, I know we were trying to do the envelopes, but I'm sensing a witness on this thing. I wonder if you're leading me, trying to hear you. So, but that's the stuff that goofs us up, right? Then we do little silly little things. All of a sudden, ah, I'm over. I've, I've hit my limit. I've, I've overdrawn beyond my balance. And then, boom, here comes all of the checks. And I don't know what it is today because I've got the automatic deal that goes to my visa. But what is it? 30 bucks a check? 40? Boom, 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 boom. Man, you're in trouble. I hate that. That happened, that happened to me too much in the past. <laughs> well, when we're looking at our lives, guess what? Now, let's play this thing out. We look at our lives. We're looking at our stewardship of our time. It's exactly the same thing. There's no difference to it. We begin by seeking first the kingdom of God. We begin by setting aside the first and the best. I can't do that. I've got such a busy life. I can never do that. No, man. You, you want to do it your way? No, my way's lame. Well, you want to do it God's way? Yeah, I guess I'll try it. Seek Him first. Make time for the Lord. Some people do it in the morning. Some people do it at night. Some people do it at lunch. I don't care. Seek the Lord. Seek Him first. Seek Him like He's there. He is. Make Him first. Secondly, Begin to budget your time according to your God-given stewardships. You begin with cultivating your own walk with the Lord. You don't have your own walk with the Lord worth a dang. You've got nothing to serve anybody with, okay? Start there. Guard your church involvement. And I'm not saying uh, you've got to attend every meeting or something like that, but the, we have to understand the church is the foundation and pillar of the truth. The church is the place where we're supposed to be equipped to engage all of the other arenas of life. And if our, 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 we're not benefiting from the training and development we're supposed to get there, we're being unprepared. We're not, we're not engaging the other arenas like we should. We need to focus on our marriages for those of us who are married. We need to be discipling our children. We need to be engaging our work with a biblical understanding, with intentionality, not just thinking, I've got to go to work so I can pay the bills. No, God's called you there. He's placed you there. Take it seriously. Do it for the glory of God. Put Jesus in the center of your work life. Wives, caring for the kids, same way. So many categories that I can't touch. Neighborhood involvement, community. And of course, just like with the money, we've got to be aware of the spontaneous Dumb choices that rip us off and get us out late so we can't get time with the Lord, or they throw us off. We've got to be intentional. The response, I know the response is, that's a lot of stuff, man. I don't have time to do everything. And, you know, guess what? You're absolutely right. You don't. We can't do everything. We can probably only do the things that matter. That's probably all that God has given us grace to do is the stuff that really matters. May We can remember we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We're in a world on mission. It's who we are. We've got to remember that so that if all the time choices come, we don't think we live here and this is all about us. No, we're strangers and aliens. 
may need to cut back on a video game or two. That's hard, man. Fox News, that's hard for me. We've got to focus on what matters, okay? Luther, one of my favorite guys, here's his quote. I've got so much business, I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. That's hilarious. There's just no way. I mean, that's so unreality. But the principle is true. We seek first the kingdom, don't we? Let's hear for guys, big leaguers like Luther, who gets that and lives at that level. God bless them. I I, want to lean in. But I sure want to be faithful with 30 minutes. I sure want to be faithful with an hour. Whatever it may be, I want to seek first the kingdom of God. I want to set new priorities based on convictions going into this new year. Okay, Verse 14 is fantastic. It just shows us where we begin. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. If if all of life is about the glory of Jesus Christ, how can we possibly begin our day without him and think that it's a good day? It's impossible. Romans 11 says, From him, through him, to him, are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Jesus is supposed to be at the center. Look at what it produces. It says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Beginning our day with our souls satisfied with his steadfast love leads to happy spirit-led days. Doesn't it? That's what we need. I need those. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. All the stuff can seem overwhelming. And anytime, especially when you talk about practical stuff, it can get legalistic real fast. It can be about, oh yeah, I did the same thing another guy did. Or it doesn't, The Lord has a unique process for everyone. We're all individuals and there's a variety of ways to do this stuff. But how Psalm 90 ends is just awesome because it, it gives us the appropriate perspective that it's all about God's grace. It's not about another list of stuff that we've got to do. Verse 16 and 17 says, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. You got, we need the Lord. God's got to break in. We need him. But he's eager to do that if we'll look to him. And then it says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. When we think of grace, for all of us, the first thing that comes to mind is the amazing grace of the gospel, that that God would so love people like us that he would give his son for us. We think of the price Jesus paid on the cross. We think of acceptance and mercy and adoption. All those things are incredible. But there's an extended understanding of grace, which is all about not just being saved for heaven but it's the power and ability of God to do what he's called us to do here and now that's grace as well 
And it's that same grace, the grace to save us, the grace that equips and empowers us, the grace that opens our eyes, the grace that helps us engage our vocations, which is what we need. And it only happens because God's merciful and he's at work in us. Philippians 2.13 says, God is at work in you both to will, change your motives, your desires, and to do his good pleasure. That is, is great news. It's ultimately not about our work, but it's God's work being shown to us, his servants, his glorious power to our children. So as we engage 2013, we ponder what it means to freshly encounter God's glory and purpose, what it means to rightly assess ourselves, to engage the reality of life, and then to consecrate ourselves to what really matters Let the favor of the Lord be on us and establish the work of our hands. Lord, establish the work of our hands. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.com dot o-r-g